Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This week on Not Sam Wrestling, takeover in your house is mere days away. We go over what happened on SmackDown this week, the new Sting Lost tape, and are we really going to see the greatest wrestling match ever? This is Not Sam Wrestling. is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey guys. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Episode 293. Quickly approaching episode 300. And thank God, I mean, what a terrible weekend. Thank God in times like this, we have an escape. This is for everybody that gets mad about wrestling. I mean, let's just be grateful that there's another world that we can get lost in sometimes, right? Because I know all I wanted to do was stay away from the real world. I mean, I couldn't. I would have loved to have stayed away from the real world uh, all weekend. A lot of people were jealous of the people who got to fly up into space and leave the planet for a little while, specifically here in America. Things are bad, man. Things are bad. But we've got wrestling to escape to, and that's what I mean, you know. There's so much anger. There is so much anger, and it was so kind of prevalent this weekend, whether it's it's anger that started this whole thing for what I think are legitimate reasons. And then watching, watching everybody just devolve into varying degrees of anger for various different reasons. You're, you're, you're going, where can we go? Why would a person want to be this angry all the time? And, you know, it made me realize that, that we're lucky that we can be angry about wrestling. A lot of people can't be angry about wrestling. There's too much real stuff to be upset about. But I do hope that if you are getting angry about wrestling, you're keeping it in the context of, you know what, no matter how angry I get, I'm pretty lucky that I'm just sitting here getting angry about wrestling. Because really, we are pretty lucky to have this escape, to have this, this, this emergency hatch that we can open at any point whether it's a Monday night, whether it's a Wednesday night, whether it's a Friday night, whether it's any time because we got the network or YouTube or whatever it is, when we just want to leave everything else behind and fall into wrestling world, we can do that. And that's what we do here at Not Sam Wrestling. Um, I was definitely, I, I was able to do that for some of the time on Friday. I have to say, I think Friday's SmackDown was, I mean, it's the best empty arena SmackDown, I think, that they've done yet. Maybe since the very first one. The very first one is always, I think, going to be the best one because it was special, because it was different, because, you know, it, it, it was it, it felt like we're going to make this up as we go. 
It was a novelty. Right after that first one, and I mean like days later, by the time Monday hit, after that first Friday in the Performance Center, it was, okay, let's figure out what normal is going to look like for the next, at the time, few weeks. It's actually a few months and who knows how long at this point. But that's when the shows started changing and they started trying to figure out, okay, what can we do here? What is this going to look like? Um, And I think that SmackDown this week, and I don't know what it'll show in the ratings. I don't really check the ratings all that closely. Um, But I think SmackDown this week was, to me, as entertaining, certainly, as just about any WWE show has been since this all started. Um, I thought there was a lot of standouts. I Man, you guys thought I was crazy when I made Otis my pick to win Money in the Bank. You guys thought I was nuts. I remember we did the Zoom room for the Patreon people, for the Not Sam Shills. And I was like, what about Otis? And everybody was like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, Sam, you're so silly. And I was like, okay. I mean, I wasn't joking. He really is my pick. But but I got to tell you, I feel bad for Tucky. I wish Tucky were a part. I don't know why he can't be a part of this thing. I don't know why Tucky can't be like the best friend that Otis has around all the time. And Mandy's like, okay, well, I'm dating you. And here's your best friend. And he's just kind of going to be around all the time. And then maybe eventually Tucky gets jealous and he turns on Otis. And then we can have Otis get revenge against Tucky. I don't know, something. Something better than just Tucky staying at home. But I think Otis is just, he's a star. How is he not a star? And he appeals to a demographic that is an incredibly large amount of wrestling fans. All of us that couldn't get girls in high school. I'm sitting there going like, yeah, Otis, go get it. Go get it for the rest of us. Otis doing the, uh, uh, and you know, comedy skits are rough in wrestling. Comedy skits cannot work. And we can all think of many examples where comedy skits have absolutely not even sort of worked. So they can go really bad. But I I was saying, remember I said, we need more pre-tape stuff. We need more outside the box stuff. The... Otis, Mandy, Indoor Pool, Fast Times at Ridgemont High parody was hilarious. I loved it. I thought it was great. It was entertaining. It was entertaining, and it's exactly what that should be. I love the idea that we're not going the sort of obvious route of having Mandy be the pretty girl, so she's going to be a bad guy, and she's really just using Otis because Otis has the briefcase now and blah, blah, blah. We're actually showing Mandy, like we believe that Mandy is attracted to Otis. I think that's great. I think it's great. And I, Otis delivers every single time he's 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 put up to the plate. He knocks it out of the park. He's hilarious. There's no doubt in my mind, by the way, that the reason he switched to uh, trunks instead of a full singlet is because Vince McMahon or whoever's making those calls thinks that it's he looks hilarious in those tiny little trunks. And he does look hilarious in those tiny little trunks. And he makes it work for himself. And I think there's so many spots to go in as well. I think that Otis, even though he's got the Money in the Bank briefcase, even though he's stronger than anybody on the roster, even though he's big as a house, even though he's got the pretty girl on his arm, he still has instant sympathy and instant empathy From the audience, at any point, you could make any bad guy really look like a bad guy against Otis. 
And when Otis finally gets mad and he finally gets charged up and he finally starts fighting back, we're all going to love seeing that. All of us. I think Otis is a standout in this era. Um, I thought, uh, I actually, I was interested in the Jeff Hardy angle. Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of people either didn't like it or thought it was in bad taste. I know that as soon as the cops were there and the car was there and it was, you know, we just saw this and they've done this before in WWE. Use Jeff Hardy's, you know, kind of real life substance problems to further storylines, which some people have a problem with, some people don't. Uh, I thought it made for an interesting beginning to a show. Uh, I thought utilizing all the different elements of the performance center and the outside that they have and Renee looking like a TV reporter and, and, and the cops showing up and, you know, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't overly realistic, but let's not overthink things. It's pro wrestling. Uh, I was entertained by it. And then going backstage and seeing, uh, Seems Scrap Daddy there, try to get all the SmackDown guys calm down and figure out what we're going to do here. I was invested. That's why I said, you know what, this is working. Because I think a lot of people, I already saw the tweets coming in. That opening was like eight minutes long or something like that. And by minute one, people were already, you know, tweeting Meltzer going, oh, this has got to be the most distasteful storyline of the year or you know, sending out how bad this was and everything. When it hadn't even, we hadn't even let it flush out yet. Things can be bad. Things can be good. But we got to give it a minute. Give it a beat to see if it's going to be bad or good. And by the time we got to the Performance Center gym, the locker room area, where all the wrestlers are arguing, and Adam Pierce is there to explain what's going to go on, I found myself invested. I said, Clearly, we're not doing an angle here. Like, instantly on watching it, if you have a brain in your head, you do not think they're doing an angle where Jeff Hardy actually got into a drunk driving accident. Like, clearly, the angle here, to me, this isn't exploiting Jeff Hardy's real-life issues. This is a bad guy. The, the angle is that a bad guy is exploiting Jeff Hardy's real-life substance issues. And that's the storyline. It's very meta, I understand. But the reason this is all happening is because somebody frames, an, a villain frames Jeff Hardy for doing this based on what we spent weeks of television learning. I mean, why spend all those weeks of television going through this whole backstory of, of the road that Jeff Hardy went down if it isn't going to somehow come back up into story. Now, this isn't like, you know, they're sitting there going like, we're going to portray the way stuff has happened before, the way it happened with the Road Warrior Hawk, the way it happened with Scott Hall and WCW. This isn't, hey, we're doing an angle where Jeff Hardy's a drunk because he is a drunk in real life. This is, we're doing an angle where a villain is exploiting his real life problems. And by that, by the fact that we're assigning a villain the exploitation what the storyline is exposing is that it is a bad thing to exploit somebody's real life problems for a for a trivial or business end goal so really technically if we want to get intellectual about this if you don't think that jeff hardy's personal stuff should be exploited for storyline you are actually in agreement with the storyline. 
because it would be bad to do that. And who's doing it? The bad guy. It's like you watch a movie. Do you think killing people is good? No. Who's killing people in the movie? The bad guy. Unless you're watching John Wick, but he is killing bad guys, and he has a reason for doing that. So that's not actually as bad. Um, so yeah, the fact that I kind of saw where this was going, and it was interesting. I mean, I don't know how many times I can sit there and hear person one say to person two, I don't like you. Well, I don't like you. Well, we're going to fight each other. And it's like, finally, there's there's a little bit of variety in how you tell this story, you know? So I was engaged by it. I thought it was good. I was interested. I thought that I thought it made SmackDown better. I liked that it led into a battle royal. I was happy to see a battle royal. It made me think that maybe the world is starting to piece itself back together, that we can actually have a multi-person match again without worrying that there's too many people in the ring or whatever. Um, you know, I think uh, uh, I'm obviously... I, I talked about the Intercontinental uh, Tournament uh, on a previous podcast. I wasn't shocked by the result and what we're going to see, and I can't wait. I can't wait for that Daniel Bryan-AJ Styles match. I can't wait for it. Oh, and Matt Riddle. Kurt Angle coming in. I'm imagining Kurt Angle. First of all, you guys that subscribe to you, not Sam Shills, who subscribe on Patreon, you guys know that on the Thursday bonus show that's exclusive to Patreon, we've been doing... Uh, uh, our own fantasy promotion based on all the WWE releases. And already this week, you know, Drew Gulak's back, Kurt Angle's back. Uh, they're taking all my talent. So I don't know what we're going to do about Not, Not Sam Wrestling Backyard Wrestling. I'm going to have to scrap a bunch of storylines that I had planned out. But I am glad to see Drew Gulak back at WWE. And uh, I was uh, I was happy to see Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, of course, we'll talk about NXT a little later because we're going to go over uh, In Your House Takeover. But it was cool to see Kurt Angle back uh, doing the referee for the fight pit cage match on NXT. Uh, and I get, I mean, he showed up on SmackDown to introduce Matt Riddle, and he just introduced the video package. I don't know if he's going to be used as Matt Riddle's manager or if he's just introducing Matt Riddle. Um, I think it would be cool if he was Matt Riddle's manager, to tell you the truth. First of all, you know, I think that it's really weird. And I don't know if it's because it's not what people think of Kurt Angle anymore behind the scenes or it's just not how the writers see him. But as somebody who grew up, like I was in high school going into college, I guess, when Kurt Angle was really hitting his his peak. Well, I don't know if he was even hitting his peak. Kurt Angle has always been like amazing. So I don't... I. I don't know when Kurt Angle's peak would be, but for me, Kurt Angle showing up and his, like, the beginning of his WWE career, not the very beginning, beginning, but, like, when he first entered into that main event scene, when he was champion, when he was doing the three eyes stuff, when he was doing, you know, Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care, he was wearing the little cowboy hat, you know, the funny stuff. Kurt Angle was so, such a good comedic performer. And I feel like they forgot that. When he first became general manager of Raw, Enzo and Cass were on the show, which shows you how long ago it was. But that I, I'll always remember that first episode that he was general manager for because they said S-A-W-F-T, soft? And then they leave, and Kurt Angle's like, that's not even how you spell that word. And I'm like, that's the old Kurt Angle. Yes, 
that's the Kurt Angle I want to be the general manager. That kind of take me seriously, but sometimes I'm a little dopey, funny Kurt Angle. And we never saw that when he was general manager at all. Like that was the end of the Kurt Angle comedy. So, you know, I think Matt Riddle has done really well in NXT with Pete Dunne as the serious point to his comedy. Uh, I think that the beginning of the Thatcher stuff before Thatcher turned on him, it was the same kind of relationship. And I thought that was good. I think that, you know, Matt Riddle is, is, has really good comedic timing too, as far as a performer. And I feel like Kurt Angle could really highlight that. You know, I, I think that Kurt Angle wouldn't just be sort of as serious as Pete Dunn is and no selling Matt Riddle's jokes, but you know, Matt Riddle making kind of veiled pot references that Kurt Angle doesn't really pick up on, or I don't know. I just feel like on an entertainment level, the pairing of Matt Riddle and Kurt Angle could be really good. And also it makes perfect sense that Kurt Angle would accompany Matt Riddle because we want to look at Matt Riddle as kind of that second coming. We want to look at Matt Riddle as this legitimate, dangerous fighter. That even though he's a goof and he wears flip-flops and he goes, bro, that he can really hurt you. And that was the whole deal with Kurt Angle. That he was a goof and he was talking about the three eyes and he was Olympic heroes for abstinence and he was a he was a, a silly goose. But if you got him pissed off and you got him in the ring, he would tear you from limb to limb. And I think that that's the same thing that Matt Riddle could do. And I think having Kurt Angle there, at least to start, as his coach-manager guy, um, and having both of them. You know, it wouldn't be the traditional managerial role, maybe, where the manager is kind of cutting your promos for you. But I think the idea of Matt Riddle and Kurt Angle being together and cutting promos together, I think uh, it could be good. I think it, it would raise Matt Riddle's stock right away, um, and it would give him an identity on SmackDown, which is one of those things that happen. A lot of times people come from, the, from NXT, and... They come from NXT because of what they did in NXT. But when they get to Raw or SmackDown, they're kind of tasked to create a new version of who they are because so many people that watch Raw and SmackDown are not watching NXT. And that's, I think, where things sometimes get lost in translation. I think that if Kurt Angle were there to kind of bring Matt Riddle in and to ease the transition onto SmackDown, especially because Kurt Angle was talking about, like, himself as the representative of the history of SmackDown. And I think that that is valuable, and I think that it's true. So the idea that Kurt Angle would bring this guy in now, I think I think is a really good idea. So hopefully, Kurt is going to stay around and second Matt Riddle. And eventually, who knows? Eventually, we get to a, a, a Matt Riddle-Kurt Angle tag team match. Like going into a pay-per-view, having the two of them tag up, that could be amazing. You know, I think that with Kurt Angle there, maybe you go right into Matt Riddle versus Baron Corbin once you get the Corbin-Elias stuff out of the way. I mean, I guess Elias is in the hospital, so maybe you can right away and just go straight to Matt Riddle versus Baron Corbin, Matt Riddle getting revenge on Baron Corbin for ending Kurt Angle's career. But I think there's a lot of potential there. So, yeah, I mean, I thought SmackDown was really, really good stuff this week. Um also, speaking of this week, there's an interesting thing on the WWE Network. It's called Sting the Lost Tape, which I didn't know anybody was looking for this tape because I never knew it existed. But it's this, it's it's quick. It's 
really like 15 minutes long, maybe, because it says it's 33 minutes or something like that, but they actually tack on the match with it. So uh, at Super Brawl, uh, Sting had a match with Big Bubba Rogers. And I guess what's the lost tape, but nobody really knew, is that for some reason, there was a video production crew following Sting around that day and doing interviews with him and 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 just following him around. Um, and so they have this like 15 minute video of Sting behind the scenes and getting ready and, 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 and doing everything. Uh, and then they play the full match, which, you know, I didn't watch all the full match, but I thought it was, uh, I thought it was fun. You know, I mean, it's just an interesting thing. If you're sitting around, you got 15 minutes to kill. Uh, I would put it on, um, you know, I, I, it's a good time capsule because there is this weird vibe about it where, now, like, like you watch the the under the last ride, or you even listen to the Undertaker's interview with the uh, pretty Peter Rosenberg that he did for Cheap Heat, which was fantastic. Uh, but you, I mean, there is no semblance of kayfabe whatsoever. There is no semblance of good guys are friends with good guys, bad guys are friends with bad guys. Yeah, I'm a real person, but there's a piece of me that's the character, and that, I mean, none. It's just I'm Mark, and here are my stories about wrestling. In this piece, because it was still 1995, there is still, even though it's it's not kayfabe, there is still this little aura of kayfabe as you watch. Like, there are interactions with Macho Man and Sting, which are real-life interactions, but still feel like two good guy wrestlers being good guy wrestlers. And same thing, there's one with, like, a, before he was buff, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. This was American males, Marcus Bagwell. You could tell because the, the the frosted tips or whatever's going on with his hair. But Marcus Bagwell and Sting interacting. And it was a little kayfabe It was a little, and, and I just thought that was interesting because it, it's really, it's a sign of the times. It's a sign of, of, of where we were in 95. But following around Sting backstage at a WCW show in 95 was fascinating if you're a wrestling geek just because there really isn't much of that footage you know 1995 is right before the internet really really hit so that's kind of the end that's why I like Bret Hart's book so much is because so many of the stories from like the early 90s are not as well known because I mean yeah you had the Observer you had a PW Torch but it wasn't like every single thing that happened in wrestling was being reported on on a website immediately. So a lot of these stories either never got reported or just got lost. And you certainly didn't have footage and photos and all this stuff of what was going on behind the scenes. You know, you certainly didn't have footage of staying in a locker room talking to Macho Man Randy Savage about going to the gym and Macho Man, you know, not really doing the voice, kind of still doing the voice, but not really doing the voice. Uh... There's a clip of Sting sitting down and 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 doing the WCW hotline with Mark Madden and uh, Mike Tanay uh, and a whole bunch of stuff. But it's just really fun, you know, looking uh, just a, a real, real sneak peek at the behind the scenes of WCW in 1995, just as they were about to pick up. I mean, Macho Man was there. Hogan was not in the piece, but Hogan was there by then. I don't know if he was at that pay-per-view or not, but that was months before uh, Nitro started. 
So you're really looking at WCW just as they started to pick up. Because, you know, I mean, a lot of people who didn't live through WCW don't remember that WCW was not always just let's burst onto the scene and compete. You know, WCW did not compete until 1995 with Nitro and really weren't serious competition where they were beating WWE uh, until 96 when Scott Hall showed up and the NWO started. Uh, So we're looking at WCW as they transfer from this sort of TNA-like group where they were in a national promotion, but they weren't making any money. and, And, you know, they certainly... I guess, I, I guess they were secondary in American wrestling, but, I mean, way down from WWE uh, into what would become such a powerhouse that they would actually beat WWE on some levels for a period of time. So, interesting thing to watch, and if you're a wrestling geek and you got 15 minutes to kill, uh, it's I love that that stuff exists. I think that's why the WWE Network should exist, for footage like that. Um, I think it's awesome. So we're going to talk about In Your House Takeover uh, in a minute. But first, first, oh, yeah, and they do interviews, too. They do interviews with, like, uh, Vader and Brian Pillman. You see Bobby Heenan. There's one little shot uh, at the end of the at the the end of the thing where Sting is going. Sting is leaving from his match with Bubba. And Mean Gene is obviously done for the night. And you see him in, like, a T-shirt and regular pants, not, like, suit pants, as he's leaving because he's going out of the next town or whatever. And it's just so amazing seeing Mean Gene in regular street clothes saying, see you later, Sting. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, when do you ever see Mean Gene, quote, unquote, out of character, out of gimmick? Even when he wasn't wearing a suit, he'd be dressed in some goofy outfit like the Bushwhackers, or he'd be on primetime wrestling, you know, in some broadcast quality. He wouldn't be wearing, like, an old T-shirt ready to jump into his car and drive to another town, that's for sure. So it was awesome. And yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. And you see like Brian Pillman and Vader and those guys are doing interviews about Sting and they're all just talking about how great he is. And you're like, okay, they're just, they're putting over the company guy. This isn't actually, you know, this isn't actually fully behind the scenes, but it's still super interesting. And it's super interesting to watch these like Brian Pillman and Vader and those guys out of character. It's wild. It's wild, especially Pillman. Because Pillman, like, you know, there's so many legends about him being in and out of character. Uh, uh, I thought it was really good. Hey guys, real quick, I keep mentioning Patreon in passing, and so I just wanted to bring you up to speed on what the Not Sam Shills is really all about. It's a community that we've started over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. There is so much benefit to joining our Patreon, to becoming a Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. For less than a dollar a week, Not only will you get this podcast early every single week and ad-free every week so you don't have to deal with interruptions like this, but you'll also get a bonus podcast. A second podcast drops every single Thursday only for the Not Sam Shills over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling called Thursday Not Sam Thursday. You also get access to our Discord room where you can talk to other Not Sam Shills 24 hours a day, seven days a week about wrestling and God knows what else. There's several tiers over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. And some of the other benefits that you get include getting the video first, getting to watch the podcast recorded from the Not Sam studio live every single week. There's exclusive merch only available to the Not, to the Not Sam shills. And some of our tiers get that merch for free. I also invite some of the tiers into a Zoom room 
before every pay-per-view so we can all get together and talk about what we expect from these pay-per-views. It's such a good time. There's so much going on. If you're a fan of this podcast, you're probably going to want to join us. Become a Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash Wrestling, or just get the podcast for free every Monday. Whatever you want to do. Um, so before we get into In Your House Takeover, there is uh, a note that's been mentioned. So WWE has gone so far over the top with announcing Edge and Randy Orton as the greatest wrestling match, possibly the greatest wrestling match ever. And I mean, to the point where they're like doing the, this is the greatest from the greatest showman in the, in the commercial. And they got a big billboard behind them. that says the greatest wrestling match ever. And they will never talk about the match without mentioning. It's going to be the greatest match ever. And I mean, all they keep saying is greatest wrestling match ever. Greatest wrestling match ever. And now I'm sitting there when I first heard it, when Charlie first said it on TV and she looked right into the camera lens and said, this could possibly be the greatest wrestling match ever. I was like, oh my God, that has to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But they're playing up the ridiculousness of it. Clearly they know. You know what I mean? Clearly this isn't like, uh, we think this is cool and you guys think it's silly. Like they know how insane this is. They're going so far overboard to the point that I actually respect it. If you're going to do it, do it. And all I hope, all I'm hoping for is that the two of them come out, and I don't even care who wins. Either the bell rings and Randy catches a spear and goes down one, two, three, or the bell rings and Edge catches an RKO and goes down one, two, three. One of those two. The greatest wrestling match ever has to be anything but. It has to be quick. It has to be nonsense. It has to be guga. It has to be ridiculous. Okay? That's where I think this is going. Because it is so, so absurdist at this point what they're doing with it that I just love it. They've actually put out, and this is legit, they've put out a line of T-shirts on WWE Shop. T-shirts and posters, by the way, of previous greatest wrestling matches ever. These are the previous greatest wrestling matches ever. Buckle in because at Backlash, we're giving you the best one, the greatest one ever. I can't wait. I actually, at this point, can't wait to see what happens in this match. I am so excited to see what the greatest wrestling match ever actually looks like. You guys send me, send me what you think. You can email notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Send me what you think. But I really think, I mean, there's got to be ridiculousness. Either it's going to be quick or something's got to give here. Something has to give. Because we are not just going to see a straight up great wrestling match. It's impossible at this point. It's impossible. They've gone out of their way to build expectations up so high that no wrestling match ever could ever live up to it. If I told you Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, WrestleMania 25 is the greatest wrestling match ever, you go, really? And I go, yep. And here's a song about it. And here's a billboard I'm going to put behind it. And I'm going to mention it every two minutes. And I'm going to put out a line of T-shirts celebrating the other greatest wrestling matches ever so you could know that this one's even better. You'd go, I don't know. I thought it was good, but I don't know if it's that good. You couldn't live up to the expectations. And this is being done on purpose. Something's got to give here. 
Something has got to give. But it made me think, as I was looking at all this stuff, it made me think of what are the greatest wrestling matches ever, actually. So on WWE Shop, the t-shirts that they have are uh, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 12, Iron Man match. The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, WrestleMania 17. Of course, they wrestled at 15, 17, and 19. WWE Shop picked 17. SummerSlam 92, Bulldog versus Bret Hart. TakeOver Brooklyn, Bailey versus Sasha Banks. Uh, WrestleMania 3, Steamboat versus Savage. No Way Out 2004, Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar. Royal Rumble 2000, Cactus Jack, Triple H, Street Fight. Uh, WrestleMania 35, Charlotte, Ronda, Becky. WrestleMania 25, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker. SummerSlam 2016, AJ Styles versus John Cena. That was an interesting one. I didn't expect that one. I didn't remember that one, to tell you the truth, but I, it belongs on their list. I get why it's on their list. I'm not going to object to that match n- being on anybody's list. Uh, I Because I, uh, I, I rem- now that you bring that up, that match was incredible. But it made me think, okay, what would make my top 10 list? What are the top 10 matches? The top 10 matches that Randy Orton versus Edge at Backlash is going to be better than. Randy Orton versus Edge at Backlash is going to be the greatest wrestling match ever. So what are my top 10 matches that Randy Orton versus Edge is going to be better than? Um, I would take almost all of these that WWE Shop did off of my list. I think I'm going to give you a top 10 list and not give it in any particular order because I'm taking the Bret Hart-Shawn Michaels-Iron Man match off the list. Uh, that is that is one of my favorite matches. I think it's a very important match. I think that was one of the first matches that made me appreciate like actual wrestling. Like that made me realize as a kid, I'm 12 years old and I can sit through a 60 minute match and be entertained. I thought, no way. And I did. And it was a great match. I actually think that match is underrated. I think people look back on that match and kind of poo poo it a little bit. And I don't think that's fair. You know, I think if I had a top 20, it would be in it for sure, but I'm not doing a top 20 matches that edge versus Orton will be better than I'm doing a top 10. Um, Bailey versus Sasha Banks is not on my top 10 list, but it is on my top 15 for sure. That match at TakeOver Brooklyn, that to me is the defining match of the four horse women era of NXT. That to me is the match that made it so that you could argue that the women could main event a pay-per-view in WWE. That's the match that people left Brooklyn arguing between that and a ladder match between Kevin Owens and Finn Balor for the NXT Championship as which match was better on the show. It was the first big women's championship match in an arena for NXT, and it was terrific. So that would make my top 15, not my top 10. Savage Steamboat, WrestleMania 3, again, would make my top 15, not my top 10. That was like the first WWE, this is the greatest match ever. That was the first one that WWE had, I think. Uh, But they didn't label it. They didn't go to WrestleMania 3 going, good news, guys, Intercontinental title match. Ricky Steamboat with George the Animal Steel versus Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth in what will possibly be the greatest wrestling match ever. (laughs) This is the greatest! (laughs) So, for me, it's not in my top 10 favorites, but it it would be in my top 15. Uh, Guerrero Lesnar is not in my top... Uh, is not in my top favorites, although an amazing moment. Cactus Jack, Triple H, not in my top 10, probably my top 15. Um, Charlotte, uh, Ronda Becky, no, that's not one of the greatest matches. 
Um, it was an important match, but not one of the greatest matches. AJ versus Cena was a very good match, but not on my list. Here is, here is my list. Actually, I actually have to change something because something should be on the list that is not. So I got to take something off right now. Oh, this is going to be tough to take off. Man, I guess, I guess I got to, I'm going to give you 11. Screw it. I'm going to give you 11. Uh, here are my 11 matches. 11 matches that Edge versus Randy Orton will be better than in no particular order. To be the greatest wrestling match ever. Uh, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker WrestleMania 25 is on my list of 11 for sure. Definitely uh, might be number one on the list, except for Randy Orton versus Edge. That's going to be better. Uh, WrestleMania 17, I'm with you. That's on my 11, list of 11. Rock versus Austin. And... Bret Hart versus British Bulldog, Wembley Stadium, SummerSlam 92, is also on my list of top 11 matches that will be almost as good as Randy Orton versus Edge at Backlash. Uh, all right, let's go down the list. The, all, every other match here is not on WWE Shop's list. Um, I would put I would put Warrior versus Savage from WrestleMania 7 on my list. That was the career-ending match. And it's funny because WrestleMania 7 is not... When you really look at it, it's really not a great WrestleMania. Um, you know, that was the one that was main evented by Hogan and Slaughter with all the controversy around it. Uh, but Hogan, I mean, interestingly enough, WrestleMania 7 and WrestleMania 8, like I'm very nostalgic for WrestleMania 7 and WrestleMania 8. I could watch those two WrestleManias at any given moment because they're WrestleManias from my childhood. But... When you really look at them and you judge them against other WrestleManias, they're not the greatest WrestleManias ever. But both those WrestleManias had amazing Randy Savage matches on them. WrestleMania 8 had the championship match that he won from Ric Flair, and WrestleMania 7 is the match that is on my list. Certainly Ultimate Warrior's greatest match of all time. The greatest! Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, career-ending match. Sensational Sherry leaves Randy after Randy loses, thus losing his career and the reunion between Elizabeth and Randy Savage happens. Randy Savage goes back to being a good guy. He joins commentary. It's amazing. Um, so that's on my list. A match that I thought I was going to take off, but I will not, is an underrated match, in my opinion. In your house, mind games. Shawn Michaels versus Mankind. It was the first match in WWE that we saw, uh, that we realized that Mick Foley... Uh, could really put on a very, very high-quality match, um, you know, and 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 was, the I think, the predecessor to the amazing match we saw between him and Triple H at Royal Rumble 2000. Um, but I just, I, I adore that match. I could watch it any time. Mick Foley goes, he goes through a table head first, and it looks like his, his head just sinks into the table. But, yeah, the only thing that's wrong with that match is that it has a schmoz ending and also... Gold dust's gold dust that came from the ceiling is all over the building. So, like, Shawn Michaels ends up with gold all over his back midway through the match. But other than that, that match is fantastic. And if you haven't seen it, I would recommend going and checking it out. Uh, there's actually two Shawn Michaels-Undertaker matches that are going on my list. And I know you're thinking, okay, we heard WrestleMania 25. So you're going to do WrestleMania 25 and WrestleMania 26? No. And WrestleMania 26 is an incredible match, too. You could argue. I almost feel like the Shawn Michaels Undertaker WrestleMania 25 spot. You could just say Shawn Michaels Undertaker WrestleMania 25 or 26. 
either one of those, like if you say one is better than the other, I'll believe you. They're just two incredible works of art. But I would actually put the Shawn Michaels Undertaker Hell in a Cell in your house bad blood match on my list of the top 11 matches that will be almost as good as Edge versus Randy Orton at Backlash. Uh, that was, of course, the debut of Kane. Another in-your-house Shawn Michaels match that is one of the best matches ever that ends in a schmoz. I mean, I guess it doesn't technically end in a schmoz because Shawn Michaels does get the pinfall victory over The Undertaker. But the only reason he does that is because Kane interferes. And it's so funny. Like, the history of the Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell was literally created so there was no escape. Like, the cage match was supposed to be the blow-off match because there was no escape, there was no interference, you just had to win. You had you had to just do the match. Hell in a Cell takes it to a whole nother level because now there's a roof and there's, I mean, there's literally no way to get out. The very first Hell in a Cell match, there's outside interference. And since then, because that precedent was set, any match now where they don't leave the cell, you're like, oh, what was that? <laughs> they actually followed the rules of the cell. That doesn't make any sense. So Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels in your house, bad blood. Uh, the Hell in a Cell, the debut of the Hell in a Cell is on my list. Uh, also on my list, let's keep going up, is another Bret Hart SummerSlam match. He had back-to-backs, baby. Both on my list of 11 matches that Edge versus Randy Orton will be better than. Not only Bret Hart versus Bulldog from SummerSlam 92, but Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect from SummerSlam 91. You want to see the coming out party of Bret Hart? You want to see the match where you realize, like, oh, my God, Bret Hart is on another level. The match where you realize, like, oh, Bret Hart is not just one half of the Hart Foundation. This, to me, is the match that makes the Intercontinental Championship in the 90s. You know, I, I think that I, I would argue that the Intercontinental Championship was made in the 80s by Savage and Steamboat. People talk about the Intercontinental Championship like it had this great history and then somewhere in the 2000s it got destroyed, but that's not true. The Intercontinental Championship, to me, in the 80s was made by Savage and Steamboat. Really quickly, it got ruined after that. And it went on the honky-tonk man who held it almost as a novelty for over a year. And then the Ultimate Warrior beat him. Honky-tonk man is a great character. The Ultimate Warrior is a great character. They're not exactly wrestlers' wrestlers. You know what I mean? This idea that the Intercontinental Championship was always on the wrestlers' wrestler. No, it wasn't. After Savage Steamboat, pretty quick, it went on honky-tonk man forever. And so it's pretty much out of commission. And then it went to the warrior. And then the warrior just threw it down like after he beat Hogan. So it it didn't have a reputation then. You start to rebuild it. And I think that the SummerSlam 91 match, Brett versus Perfect, is what rebuilt that title. And the SummerSlam 92 match, Brett versus Bulldog, is what really held that title in esteem because you got Brett beating Perfect in just the match of all matches at SummerSlam 91. Brett holds the title until right before Royal Rumble 91 when he loses to the Mountie. Piper wins the title from the Mountie at Royal Rumble 91. WrestleMania 8 comes. 
Brett and Piper tear the house down with the best match at WrestleMania 8 for the Intercontinental Championship, where Brett wins the title back. And then Brett holds it all the way to the next SummerSlam in August, where he loses it to the British Bulldog. British Bulldog carries the title until not too long after that, you know, October, November, when he loses the title to Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels goes to Survivor Series in November. By then, Bret Hart has won the WWE Championship, thus cementing the Intercontinental's title's reputation of, you know, the stepping stone. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart tear the house down in a match that wasn't for the Intercontinental Championship, but in an Intercontinental title match. Shawn has a great run as Intercontinental Champion. Leads to Razor Ramon getting the Intercontinental title. Leads to the ladder match between Shawn and Razor. Leads to Diesel getting it. Leads to Razor getting it. The title did was held, you know, hostage by the click for a while. Uh, and then, I guess... The Intercontinental title probably, well, no, because Goldust got it from Razor, and Goldust had a really good run with it. That's when the Intercontinental title lost it then. People want to know when the Intercontinental title lost its luster? When Ahmed Johnson beat Goldust. He should never have beaten Goldust, Ahmed Johnson. Goldust was one of the greatest characters WWE had. He was my favorite wrestler. Goldust should not have been beaten. Goldust came in in January, or, or he came in in November or October of 95, beat Marty Jannetty at In Your House, then started flirting with Razor Ramon, put a Razor Heart tattoo on his chest, beat Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental Championship at the 96 Royal Rumble, holds it for six months, only to lose it to Ahmed Johnson at the King of the Ring 96, Yeah, because I guess, right? Yeah, because Goldust, maybe he wasn't defending the title at WrestleMania against Piper, because Piper won that match. But Ahmed, I'm doing this all the top of my head, so forgive me. That storyline was great because Ahmed was pissed at Goldust because Goldust gave him mouth to mouth, but was really trying to French him, I think. And Ahmed hated that. And Vince goes, that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then Ahmed gets injured right after that. Yeah, that's where the Intercontinental title got destroyed. People want to know? It goes up and down. The history is not like it. But Ahmed beating Goldust, stupid. Ahmed takes like one picture with the gold title wearing short jean shorts, wearing Daisy Dukes. He gets injured almost immediately. The Intercontinental title is held vacant. The wild man Mark Merrow wins it. Garbage. And then Hunter Hearst Helmsley gets the title back and tries to get some prestige going again. Man, the click loved having that title. But okay. All right. So we digressed a little bit there. But Hart versus Perfect is what really started the renaissance. Hart versus Perfect was so strong that that match started a renaissance that went from August of 1991. It lasted almost five years to June of 96. That's all right. That's probably the Intercontinental title's best run. And that is the reason that the Intercontinental title has the reputation that it has. People go, well, there was Savage Perfect, there was Savage Steamboat, and then there was the run that Brett had to Bulldog, to Sean, to Razor, to Goldust. 
but it we all started at SummerSlam 91. So SummerSlam 91, definitely on my list. Definitely on my list is uh, Hogan Rock, just because WrestleMania 18, just because, you know, watching that, I mean, that's wrestling. That match is wrestling. Watching that match happen, watching the, the competitors in the match react to the crowd, watching everything. It's just, it's just energy, 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 energy. It was impossible to follow. It was great. Last, I got two more matches. Two more matches that are on my list of matches that will be almost as good as Edge versus Randy Orton at Backlash. Uh, Austin versus Brett, submission match, WrestleMania 13. You know, you wonder why WrestleMania has this great reputation. Of the 11 matches that I picked, one, two, three, four, five, almost half are WrestleMania matches. That's huge. Oh, wait, I skipped one. I got two more after this. So Austin versus Brett, uh, submission match. I just think that, uh, I just think that that's, uh, it's incredible. Watching the double turn, watching the beginning of the, the of, of what will be the, the hottest streak in all of wrestling. You know, this is the beginning of the Attitude Era. This is, this is the beginning of, to me, I'm a Bret Hart fan, and my favorite stuff he did was the 97 Heart Foundation stuff. So to see the beginning of what will become my favorite run that Bret Hart had and the beginning of the Austin era of WWE all take place inside of one match, unbelievable and incredible. And to watch this finish where the right guy wins, but the the other guy isn't hurt by it at all and... Ken Shamrock gets made by it the whole time, and it's just it's just so good. It's just so good on so many levels. We could sit there and dissect that match. They should teach a class on that match. The final two matches are two. They might be my number one and number two favorite matches of all time. Maybe. Other than Edge and Orton at Backlash. Even though it hasn't happened yet, I'm assured it will be possibly the greatest wrestling match ever. Um, The first one is from Money in the Bank 2011. The best pay-per-view of the modern era, by the way. Daniel Bryan wins the briefcase. It's such a good pay-per-view. But CM Punk versus John Cena. Money in the Bank 2011 is this moment. And it only exists as a moment. And there are a couple of moments. You know, I would also probably have a conversation about adding the triple threat, Daniel Bryan, Batista, Randy Orton, onto this list. Um, From WrestleMania 30. And part of that is because of the moment, the moment that you get at the end of WrestleMania 30. Daniel Bryan's title run after WrestleMania 30 was completely cut short due to injury. It was not a good title run. He had like one match with Kane. But that moment, that moment lives forever. That moment is that moment. What happened with the summer of punk was a, I mean, it's such a waste such a waste of interest and and possible creative that you could do. It just, it all went wrong. The summer of punk went completely wrong. But that moment, the Money in the Bank 2011 match between John Cena and CM Punk, coming off the promo that was, I mean, certainly the best promo of the decade, certainly most noteworthy promo of the decade, if not the 2000s, uh... You know, I mean, I think the pipe bomb is is 
Austin three sixteen level promos where it's just these are it, it hard times. Austin three sixteen, pipe bomb. Sean loses his smile. Those are my top four promos. Um, so I think that uh 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 that match because and I I remember watching it, and you're sitting there going like, well, Punk says he's leaving and stuff. Obviously, Punk isn't leaving. Leaving. Like I never at any point believed that Punk was for real going to leave the company. Like I, you know, but I still, you're like, I don't know what they're gonna do here, and it's so rare that you walk in going you you walk into a match and you go I don't know what they're going to do here but I don't see any way out of this that's not noteworthy I don't see any way out of this that I'm not going to go whoa in fact I don't remember a match since then that made me feel like a kid as much as I did watching it that made me go back to that feeling of not watching it from a point of analysis or not watching it as a like casual like adult fan or whatever, but just made me go back and be fully invested in the characters and go, what is going to happen here? John Laurinaitis comes out and Vince McMahon comes out and John Cena stops him, blah, blah, blah. It's just so good. It's so good. You have to ignore everything that happened after it, but that match is so good. My other match, which I think over the years has become my favorite match of all time. Except Edge versus Randy Orton, quite possibly the greatest wrestling match ever. And this is a match that should be brought up in every conversation. Anytime anybody has a conversation about the best matches, their favorite matches, this one should be brought up every time. It's Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio, Halloween Havoc 97. I mean, I you should be watching this match at least once a month. Just put it on the network and watch it because it is, it might be my favorite match ever. And I know, like, you know, this is a very Sam-centric list. Of course, there's Flair, one of the Flair versus Steamboat Clash of Champion matches should be on here. There's no representation of the Funks. There's plenty missing from my list. I get it. But, man, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Halloween Havoc 97 is something absolutely special. And it's... <coughs> It's something that when it happened, I think we knew that it was special, but I don't think we knew exactly how special it was. And if you go back and watch it now, you're just like, wow, I can't believe this gem is hidden, is hidden in the relics of WCW. Like, the thing about WCW is, even at their best, like the Cruiserweights did good matches, but the matches weren't great. Like, the stories. WCW at their best were good stories, but they screwed up on the matches all the time. Like Hogan versus Sting is maybe the best built to match of the era, but the execution of the match is horrible. Like, I mean, you want to talk about wasted potential with CM Punk. Like the Hogan Sting match is just depressing. Hogan Sting is one of those matches where you go in going with that same feeling that I described for Cena versus Punk. When you go, man, I don't know what's, I don't know what's, excuse me, I don't know what's going to happen here, but something's got to give. This is going to be something special. And then you watch it and you're like, what? Like, did you go out of your way to screw it up? Like, did you specifically go like, oh, you know what we should do? We should have a completely garbage match. We should build up a year and a half. 
We should start at Fall Brawl 95. Fall Brawl 95 is when we should start. Or I mean, I need... Yeah. Nope. Fall Brawl 96. We should start at Fall Brawl 96. Let's start. In the War Games at Fall Brawl 96. That's when the fake Sting will debut. That's when the real Sting will come out. The night after Fall Brawl. And I say Fall Brawl because it happens in the fall, which means it's not even December yet or even close. Sting is going to do a promo in September of 96. The only thing that's for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. And then he's going to escape to the rafters and not be heard from again. We're going to see him here and there. He's going to start coming down from the ceiling. He's going to start attacking Hogan, but he's not going to say a word until December of 97. 15, 16 months. When was the last time there was a build like that? And then you get to the match and they're like, you know what we should do after all this time? Let's totally screw this match up. Oh yeah, let's do that. And Hogan and Stinger are like, yeah, that's what you want to do? Yeah, yeah, we definitely want to. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Oh man. <laughs> okay. Like, based on the buildup, Hogan and Sting should be on this list. Just based on the buildup. But the match is so awful. If you think to yourself, like if you're thinking about WCW in 97, and you're thinking to yourself, man, that Hogan-Sting build was amazing. All those Hogan-Sting segments on Nitro and everything, it's amazing. I love that era. I'm going to watch Hogan versus Sting. Turn it off. Turn on Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Halloween Havoc 97. That's, yeah. Just do that. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed. Sorry for the interruption. I just want to let you guys know there's a lot of ways you can support this podcast absolutely for free. First of all, make sure that you're subscribed on whatever podcast platform that you use, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google Play. We're everywhere. Just make sure you hit that subscribe button and that the show downloads every week. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and write a quick review for the show. It helps more than you know. That's why all of these podcasts ask you to do it. And if you want to go the extra mile and look cool doing it, we're in the merch game. Our friends at Pro Wrestling Tees are helping us out. NotSamShirts.com is the place to go. NotSamShirts.com. Dot com if you want to support this podcast or one of the other Not Sam properties represented on a t-shirt over the weekend. We just put up the action t-shirt. This is a t-shirt that pays tribute to the worst moment of my professional career, my WrestleMania 34 screw-up, and action is on the way. You can now represent that with a picture of my stupid face trying to get words out that make sense to no one. NotSamShirts.com is the place to go, at least to just look at it and have a good laugh at me. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Let's get back to listening to it. So those are my 11 matches. Rock Austin, Bulldog Brett, Sean Taker, WrestleMania, Sean Taker, Hell in a Cell, Sean Foley, Mind Games, Warrior Savage, WrestleMania 7, Punk Cena, Money in the Bank, Heart Perfect, SummerSlam 91, Hogan Rock, Austin Brett, WrestleMania 13, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio. Those are my 11 matches that I already know the greatest match ever, possibly wrestling, will beat. Randy Orton versus Edge will be better than all of those matches. Hey, before we uh, hightail it out of here, let's talk uh, this Sunday. We got TakeOver coming up. Of course, we're going to talk about it uh, more in uh, 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 on the Thursday podcast that's exclusive to Patreon. But uh, as of now, the TakeOver card is looking good, man. You got five matches announced, and all five of them are must-see for different reasons. We got two 
which is atypical for a takeover. We have two singles grudge matches, two matches on the show that are single matches that are not for a title, which at takeover, you know, there's so few matches that they rarely give those spots out. You know, I think that uh, the first one we'll mention, of course, Finn Balor versus Damian Priest. Um, And this, I'll tell you, is probably the best opportunity that Damian Priest Archer has ever had. To have this spot really tells you how much they believe in Damian Priest. Um, You know, Finn Balor's an interesting cat. Uh, Finn Balor, you could say, is at this point of his career where he's just kind of there to put people over, but I don't think he is. I think Finn Balor could go on a hot streak that's even hotter than the first one he had in NXT. You know, I think... If it's me, I get that at some point we got to put over Damian Priest, and we do. But, man, I think Finn Balor not only wins this match, but Adam Cole versus Finn Balor is the match that is going to bring people in to see a takeover. An NXT championship match between Finn Balor and Adam Cole. And, by the way, that's only going to be made more valuable. I would have Finn Balor beat... Finn Balor beat Johnny Gargano already. At the, I think at the last takeover, if not the takeover before. So Finn Balor beat Johnny Gargano. He doesn't wrestle much, Finn Balor. He's got to get his victory back over Trevor Lee probably. But he beat uh, 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 Johnny Gargano. He goes on to this takeover to beat Damian Priest. Um, I think he could probably get one more victory. You know, it might it might be good to have him beat either Tommaso Ciampa or I don't know who you have him beat next. I would have him beat one more high-profile person and then go to Adam Cole and say, now it's my time and challenge Adam Cole for the NXT Championship because I think 2020-era Finn Balor versus undisputed-era Adam Cole, money, 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 money. Uh, the second non-title match, is Tommaso Ciampa versus Karrion Cross? So this is the reverse of the Priest match. I think that this match is all about Karrion Cross cashing in on being the most buzzed about NXT debut, maybe since Adam Cole. You know, I, I, I Karrion Cross, the TikTok montage has worked, I believe, uh, and his entrance with Scarlett is just. Anybody that watches NXT, that's what they're talking about. I haven't seen one person that hasn't been blown away by the whole act. And the fact that it's happening in empty buildings, the fact that it's happening without fans there is huge. I'm going to be interested to see, hopefully having you know people at the Performance Center will make these TakeOver matches, I don't want to say more interesting, but feel more like takeover matches. You know, take such a big part of takeover is uh is the crowd response to it. So hopefully that's there. I mean, I think that these com- all matches here will give everybody a reason to kind of drop their jaws. When you look at this card, it's like nobody has a roster like NXT. Nobody can put together a show like this. There is not one sh- one promotion. I don't care W Raw SmackDown AEW no way do you have a card like this. I think uh, this it's time for Karrion Cross to beat Tommaso Ciampa. I think Tommaso Ciampa's got to collect himself again after this one. He's got to lick his wounds and go back. Um, Charlotte versus Io Shirai versus Rhea Ripley. 
Uh, I think this is going to be great. Um, you know, I, I think Io Shirai is like one of the best wrestlers, period, in NXT, maybe in WWE altogether. I think Io Shirai is so uh, uh, underappreciated. I think she's the greatest. I, I'm, I'm such an Io Shirai fan. And I think she's going to have an opportunity to turn a lot of heads. But I think when Charlotte loses the title, it's got to be in a one-on-one -on -one match. I think the only reason to have Charlotte be your NXT champion is so that eventually somebody can beat her and really get that rub. And whether that's Rhea Ripley getting a rematch and like, okay, you know what? And, and this is what I said at WrestleMania. I said Rhea Ripley needs to lose this match because she's all hype right now and really hasn't had to work for much. Like she's gotten a lot fast and we haven't seen her lose and we got to see her lose. So we've seen her lose. We've seen her not have the same level of momentum that she had going into WrestleMania. And I think that's a good thing. And I think, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against having Charlotte pin her again or, or beat her again. I would have her pin her this time instead of tapping her out. But it's one of those things where Io Shirai could knock out Rhea Ripley and Charlotte could get the cover or something like that, or what, you know, you, there's a million ways to do it where it's not like Charlotte has definitely beaten Rhea Ripley twice because it's a triple threat. It's different. But I think if, if, if Rhea finally gets a victory over Charlotte, it needs to happen one-on-one. -on -one. If Io Shirai were to be able to get that moment and beat Charlotte and become the NXT women's champion needs to be one-on-one. -on -one. It's going to mean so much more to beat Charlotte for the NXT women's championship one-on-one -on -one that I see her leaving the triple threat still champion. I think I only see one title change happening at In Your House Takeover. If it's up to me, Johnny Gargano is definitely leaving North American champion. I think this version of Johnny Gargano does better with a title. I think this is my favorite version of Johnny Gargano I've ever seen. Um, you know, I think when uh, when it's rah, 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 Johnny, you can do it, Johnny. It's okay that he doesn't win matches. But when it's, hey, I'm Johnny Gargano and I'm better than all of you, uh, he's got to win matches. So I think this is this is the moment that, you know, what we talked about for uh, Rhea Ripley, because let's be honest, Keith Lee, momentum-wise, is simply not in the same place that he was at the end of 2019 going into 2020. You know, he had his showdown with Roman where they embraced. He had a face-to-face -face with Brock Lesnar. Keith Lee is the next guy. And since then, it's been Dominic Dijakovic. It's been uh, 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 Damian Priest, Damian Priest, Dijakovic, Priest, Djokovic, Djokovic, Priest. It's like, you know, at some point, something's got to change here. He hasn't been a dominant North American champion. He's just been a North American champion to beat those two guys. So I think that him losing to Johnny Gargano would be a good thing because it would be like, okay, we're not just having him kind of just beat everybody because... Um, and I also think that it would be fun to watch him chase Gargano. I think I would care way more. I care way more about Keith Lee versus Gargano if Keith Lee is chasing Gargano than if Gargano is chasing Keith Lee. Uh, and then finally, your NXT championship match is Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream. Uh, Velveteen Dream's last opportunity at the championship as long as Adam Cole is champion. Uh, and it's going to take place in a venue of William Regal's choosing. You know, uh... We talked about this on Thursday with Patreon and somebody suggested Hell in a Cell. How do you get a Hell in a Cell in the Performance Center unless you go someplace else or maybe you build the Hell in a Cell at Full Sail? 
and you have this match happen at the Hell in a Cell in full sale, I don't know. I don't think it'll be Hell in a Cell, but I have no idea what it'll be. I do think Adam Cole leaves with the championship, but I don't know what it'll be. Maybe we'll have a better idea after NXT this week. The only thing I'm disappointed about with In Your House TakeOver is that I wish that that Riddle-Thatcher match from NXT TV this week could have happened at TakeOver. I wish the Fight Pit match had happened on TakeOver because that I, I loved it so much. I thought it was so, so great. All right, guys, if you're on Patreon, I'll talk to you on Thursday. If not, make sure you tune into the NXT In Your House TakeOver kickoff show on Sunday. And I'll see you back here next Monday for another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.